Ever wonder why Jesus was born when he was? Why he was born Jewish? Or why, if he was supposed to have been born in Bethlehem, did the angel Gabriel go all the way up into the Galilee to Mary in the city of Nazareth? You know, the amazing story of the birth of Jesus has so many details not really explained in the text, but it was understood by the people of the day. So journey with me back into time to understand how God had been preparing all of history for this amazing moment. So sign up today for our 11-week walk through the pages of the New Testament, beginning with the phenomenal story of the birth of Jesus. Please go to outofzionshow.com, request your New Testament reading guide, and let's get started. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Hey there, and welcome back. This is week 41 of our Walk Through the Bible, and you know what that means? We are finishing the Old Testament today. We only have 11 weeks left, and we will go through the New Testament beginning next week. So this week, let's wrap up our story that we've been following through the Old Testament. Uh, We're reading this week in the Daily Bible the dates of October the 8th through the 14th, or the pages 1296 to 1336. So you're doing a great job. Congratulations. All right, let's do just a little review of what we talked about last week. In fact, over the last couple of weeks. So the exiles uh, have begun to come back to Jerusalem. Uh, We've seen two waves so far, and they have rebuilt the temple, The prophets Daniel and Zechariah have had really glorious visions um, of the future, uh, while other prophets have been there to encourage the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Um, The story of the return so far we read in Ezra 1 through 6 about the first exiles that were allowed to return under King Cyrus, and they were led by uh, Zerubbabel. And they saw the the temple rebuilt. The second return happened about 80 years later. And this was a group led by Ezra. He had gotten permission from King Artaxerxes. And he brought about 40,000 people back with him. But Ezra was a Torah scribe. He was a descendant of the first high priest, uh, sorry, the high priest of the first temple, the last high priest of the first temple, and he was a cousin of the high priest of the second temple, Joshua, and uh, but he had a love for the, the law, and so he focused on bringing the law back to the people and bringing their obedience back to the law. Now, this week, we're going to read about the return of a third group of exiles with Nehemiah. This group is about 15 years after uh, Ezra's group, and um, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes, 
And this means that Nehemiah, you know, we think cupbearer, that sounds like he just worked in the kitchen, right? <laughs> but uh, no, it was a very high level position. And this means that Nehemiah was a very trustworthy uh, servant of the king, serving in the highest levels of the royal court because the cupbearer was responsible to make sure that nothing was given or fed to the king that could poison him. And um, so only someone that was of the highest trust uh, could hold that position, and that's Nehemiah's uh, position. And so he becomes burdened. He hears exiles come back from Jerusalem, and they're telling about how badly it's going and how hard it is. And Nehemiah is very burdened about this. So the king sees that he's very uh, downtrodden and discouraged, ask him what's wrong. And um, so we have then the story of Nehemiah and how that he begins to negotiate with the king for the return, how he prepares for the return, uh, what he takes with him for the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and so I want to say that the book of Nehemiah is a wonderful study in leadership. There are some really rich lessons, and there's many lessons. And so we're not going to take the time today to go through that for self-application. I know that you've probably heard teachings on Nehemiah. There's been many done and books written. I just will say this, that uh, in the, the first chapter of Nehemiah, we see how that he goes to the Lord in intercessory prayer on behalf of his people. And then in chapter two, how that the door begins to open for him to speak to the king about it. And the first thing he does is he prays, and then he begins to speak up and to negotiate with the king for what he wants, which is to return and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And, um, and so it's a wonderful lesson here in negotiation. And then the gift of administrations that he had and how he planned what he needed to take with him, how long it would take, the people, everything, the letters that he needed. He had it all worked out. The king said, fine. And so he makes his trek back to Jerusalem. And then he goes out in the middle of the night all along and he surveys the city and he sees just how bad, the bad shape that it's in and what is needed. And so then in Nehemiah chapters three through seven, we have the story of the opposition to Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And once again, rich, rich lessons here for anyone in ministry or in leadership, how that here Nehemiah is called of God to go and do this, and he gets there, and all he gets are false accusations and complaints and slander and on and on and on, and he has to continue working in the midst of all of that. And boy, what a lesson it is for all of us, how to handle criticism, how to handle opposition, how to handle discouragement, even slander, because uh, he had to handle it all. And any of us in any kind of leadership, we have to be able to handle these things because it does happen. So, but sticking to our story then, by chapter eight in Nehemiah, the walls are rebuilt. And so Nehemiah begins to plan how to populate the city because the walls are built, 
but very few people actually live in Jerusalem because it's still rubble and they need houses built. And so he gets leaders to live in Jerusalem, set an example, began rebuilding the city, and others will follow. By chapter 8, he then has Ezra come and read the law to the people as they dedicate the walls. And what's so special here is that as the people hear the law read, it says they wept. And then on the second day, they get to the reading of the law and they read about the Feast of Tabernacles. Now they are in the seventh month. This is the month to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. They read about it. So they run out, they start gathering the palm branches and the things that they need to build their booths, what we call sometimes in English tabernacles, but the, the Hebrew word means a booth, a sukkah. And so they build these booths and they live in them for the full week as they every day they're hearing from the law and then they're celebrating and they're worshiping the Lord. Wow, what a wonderful Feast of Tabernacles. And the great thing is that the Feast of Tabernacles is the one feast in the Bible where the people were commanded to rejoice for the whole week. So I just want you to picture this now. Jerusalem is in rubbles. Uh, there's many of the homes are still destroyed. There's nothing there. Very few people are living in the city. So they all go in and they build their booze, their sukkahs, and they're, they're living under these temporary booze the whole week while they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And the other thing that's neat about this story is that in the midst of such discouragement, in the midst of rubble, in the midst of this huge job they have to rebuild the city, they are commanded to rejoice, and they have a whole week of rejoicing. It's a wonderful, wonderful story, and the climax, really, for the book of Nehemiah. And um, it shows how that really the whole issue of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding Jerusalem, it's not about walls and stones. It's about the worship. And here we have it in chapter 8. In chapter 9, then, the people all make a covenant with the Lord to obey his laws. They even sign a document. And then uh, Nehemiah returns to Persia for a bit. And then when he comes back to Jerusalem, what does he find? He's just appalled by the sin. The priests have misused parts of the temple. The people are not going about rebuilding and obeying the law. And He's just appalled by it all. And so the book ends there at the end of, um, of chapter 13 with verse 31b. This is the last half of that verse, the very last line of the whole book of Nehemiah. And he says, Lord, remember me, oh my God, for good. In that whole last chapter, he is reviewed well, I did this and I did this and I did this and I, you know, I tried to do this and the people were doing that and I did this. And at the end, he just ends with, oh, Lord, please remember me for the good that I did. He tried his best, in other words. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I certainly have where I've said, God, I did my best. 
I just did my best. And that's how Nehemiah ends his book. So now I want to talk about the end here of our reading this week in the Old Testament. The the ancient manuscripts of the Bible, what's known as the Masoretic Text, have the Bible ending right here with this verse. Yes, it ended with the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, just a word here, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah was just one book. Later it was divided and part of it was called Ezra and part of it was called Nehemiah. Um, It's believed that Ezra probably compiled the whole thing, but he may have worked from Nehemiah's diaries for the part about Nehemiah. So today it's two books and um and it's but in the old in the old uh, manuscripts this was the end of the old testament kind of a downer kind of a down ending therefore when the hebrew bible was codified for the jewish world um they ended the old testament with the books of first and second chronicles why well because the book of first and second chronicles is a wonderful review of the entire Old Testament. It begins with Adam, and it ends with the return of the exiles under King Cyrus. So it ends with a little bit more of an upbeat, and it is a really nice summary. And so I say that because if any of you uh, were not able to read through the whole Old Testament with us, you've just sort of been starting now or you've been following through, read First and Second Chronicles. It kind of gives you a summation of the story. Um, but Second Chronicles ends with almost a half sentence or a half thought, and it's where King Cyrus is saying of the Jews, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. That's how the book ends. So it's talking about King Cyrus allowing the Jews to go up to Jerusalem. And so it ends the Hebrew Bible with sort of this transition into the future where they are, they've been allowed to return. So who compiled the Old Testament? Well, it's believed that Ezra is the one that gathered the various books together and began compiling it uh, into one. Um, it's also believed Ezra may have written First and Second Chronicles. Um, rabbinic tradition says that he did, and rabbinic tradition also says that Ezra wrote Malachi because Malachi means Malachi or my messenger, uh, my angel, and um, and it's believed that Ezra may have written that book. So I'm very grateful for Ezra for all of his work in chronicling the Bible, in chronicling this amazing story um, of the return of the Jewish people and for his love for the law, his love for the word of God, that he put all that effort into pulling it together. And uh, we have so much to be grateful to Ezra for. Now, having said all of that, I will say that the Christian Bible has arranged the books in a little bit of a different order. And so our Bible, our Old Testament, ends with the book of Malachi. And even though we talked about Malachi last week, um, it ends with this prophesying of the coming messenger. 
And so I just want to bring out a couple of jewels from Malachi as we close out the reading of the Old Testament this week. So in Malachi uh, chapter 1, in verse 11, it's a wonderful verse here where he says, My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. So Malachi here is restating that vision of the future, that the Lord is going to be king over all the nations. And anyone here, this this pure worship of him, will uh, make his name great amongst the nations. And then in chapter 3, he says here about the messenger, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So um, the Christian Christian theologians apply this, that the, the messenger, the forerunner will come before the Lord himself appears and will appear in the temple. And that is talking about John the Baptist as the forerunner before Jesus, who did come and appear in the temple, going on in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So the coming of the Messiah is going to bring a refining, a purifying, because it's all about bringing pure worship to the Lord. That is the aim of all of this, is to bring pure worship before the Lord. And then um, going on, Here he says in verse 6, this is a verse many of us have read and underlined, says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. See, uh, going on here now in chapter 4, verse 5, before I go there, let me say that um, I am the Lord, I, the Lord, do not change. He's talking about here his covenants. He doesn't come up with new agreements or new requirements. It's all what he set forward in the desert. It's all what he promised to David, which is now several hundred years before. Uh, All that's still yea and amen with God. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change. Therefore, he says, you descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Now moving on to chapter 4, verse 5. This is the end of the book. See? I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So that is the verse that closes the Christian uh, arrangement of the Old Testament. 
Once again, it's not a real happy beat, but it does say here that he is going to send Elijah, the prophet, before that dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he's going to restore relationship. And I want to close our time together today in our reading of the Old Testament with this thought. It's all about our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is reflected in the relationships around us. And if we are walking in fellowship with the Lord and in obedience to his word, our relationships are set in order, how we honor our parents, how we train up our children. We ha- it's all set in order. But when we're walking in disobedience, then all these relationships fall apart. And what the Lord wants is our right relationship with him. And then his people around us will be well cared for. So when this Old Testament ends, it's with this promise. He's going to send a messenger and prepare the way. And he's going to come. And that messenger is going to restore our right relationship with him. And therefore, when the Lord comes, we won't need the refining by fire as gold or silver. But we will have pure worship going up before the Lord, and he, his name will be vindicated, will be lifted up above all the nations. That's what our whole reading of the Old Testament has led us to. That's what it's all about, and that is the day that we are all looking forward to. Now, next week, we will begin looking at the New Testament, but in the first few days next week, we're going to be reading out of the Daily Bible a, summary, a summation of 400 years of history that still is to take place between today and our Old Testament reading and where the New Testament begins. This is known as a 400-year period of silence, not because I think God was silent, because I actually don't think he was silent, but because we have no writing prophets during that time. Therefore, we don't have any books that have been canonized into the Bible to tell the story. But quite a story there was between the return of the exiles and the rebuilding of the land and the second temple and when Jesus appears in the New Testament. So we're going to fill in that gap with you next week. And until then, I want to ask you, invite your friends to join us for the last quarter of our walk through the Bible, because over the next 11 weeks, we're going to be walking through the New Testament. And so we want you to encourage, bring your friends on. Maybe it got a little tedious going through the last few weeks of the Old Testament, but let's start again afresh with the New Testament. Invite your friends to join us. And um, I think it's going to be really exciting. So I look forward to seeing you back here next week. And until then, may the Lord bless the reading of the final words of the prophets here in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament. May you be blessed and I'll see you back here. Have you fallen behind in your walk through the Bible daily readings Well, we serve a God of second chances, and this is your chance to finish the year out with us. You can start afresh this month and read through the New Testament with us in just 11 short weeks. 
So go to outofzionshow.com, request your New Testament reading guide, and let's get started. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.